on the, the principle of the blood of Jesus and how, uh, how necessary the blood of Jesus is. Um, and, and it's very, it's the groundwork. It's the pillar and the ground uh, of, of how God operates in our life. Amen? Amen. Without the blood, all we have is religion. But with the blood, we got liberty. Amen. So uh, we're going to start here in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, and let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get on into the Word. Heavenly Father, we bless you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be back in the house of God. And Lord, we pray that you would take us, Lord, and, and move upon our lives this evening, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for the comforter. We thank you, Lord, for the guiding hand, Lord, upon our lives. Thank you for bringing us to this place. I ask, Lord, for your anointing to be upon your word tonight. Lord, I pray for that anointing to preach and to teach as you desire. And, Lord, we all ask for that anointing that we can hear and receive everything that the Spirit is speaking to us this evening. And, Lord, we all ask it in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord, all God's people say, amen, amen. So Revelation chapter 12, we're going to be getting back into this. This will be part two of this uh, sermon tonight. But this passage in Revelation chapter 12 is whenever Satan gets cast out of uh, the first heaven. How many of you know that today I'm ready for Satan to be cast into hell? Amen. I'm ready to be done with the, with, with the adversary. Amen. Uh, we do have an adversary, and he is an accuser, as you'll see in this verse. Uh, but what we learned this morning is we have an adversary, we have an accuser, but glory to God, we have an advocate with the Father. Amen. Our advocate is standing at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is advocating for our benefit. The word advocate is, this, is, is the word parakletos, which is the same word of the comforter. So it's a, a, a lot of uh, the Trinity teaching in this. But notice what we're going to get into in Revelation chapter 12, verse number 10. Let's start with verse number 9 just to get a little bit of more context. It says, The great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, we're not going to get into eschatology too much, but there's some that believe this is past tense. There's some that believe this is future tense, and there's some that believe this is going on currently. Amen. I believe we're, what we'll see, though, is when this happens, the Antichrist comes out. So I believe this is a future event. I believe this is going to happen right directly before the Antichrist comes. And you'll see that later on uh, played out as you get more into eschatology. But, th but right now we know that there is an adversary, uh, an accuser of the brethren, the devil, Satan, and he accuses us day and night. Amen. Now, one of the things that, we, that I want to point out in this passage, though, is that Satan at one point gets cast to the earth. That means that today he's able to go and present himself before the Lord. And he accuses people, it says, day and night. Now, the part I want you to see, though, is you go back to the book of Job, you'll see corroboration. You'll see that in the book of Job, Satan came before God and began to accuse Job. And he said, you know what? That man Job, this is Satan talking to God, right? This is after the Garden of Eden. 
And Satan's talking to God, and he said, you take your hand off of Job, and he'll curse you. And God said, I know Job, he won't do it. He said, you can do anything you want, just don't take his life. And you know what? Job, Job passed the test, didn't he? He passed the trial. He came out on the other side refined, tried by the fire, forged by the fire. He came out on the other side with a purified faith. He knew his God. He knew the one in whom he trusted and believed. Amen? He knew him. There were so many of those things that Job would not have known about God had he not been gone through that valley. But God kept him as he went through that valley. Amen? Now, the accuser, let's come back to him in, in, this, in this verse. It says that he was cast out into the earth. Uh, the part I want you to see out of that is it says he deceived the whole world. Verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night, never stopping. The, the accuser is bringing accusations against you to the throne even now. Unless you have an advocate pleading your case, amen, amen, we, we would be in trouble. But we have an advocate with the Father, and we have been given that uh, groundwork or the framework to overcome accusations. And we're going to get into that tonight. Look at this next verse. It says, and they overcame him, that's the accuser, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives Unto death. I'm going to get into these three concepts tonight. This is very important that we get into these. Uh, but the, the accuser of the brethren, that, that simply is slander. How many of you know what a slanderer is? A slanderer is someone who's always railing against someone else. They're always bringing them down. They're always trying to throw mud on them. Amen? And that's what the devil's trying to do to us. He's, he's throwing all kinds of accusations against us. And I'm thankful that I don't even know most of what the accusations are. Amen? I'm thankful that I, I don't know most of it. And you know what? I'm thankful that the Lord's just sitting there advocating for me. Amen. And we touched on that. It's 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, if you want to look that up later. But you do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. So the part I want to get into tonight, though, is that God did not leave us defenseless against the accusations and the work of our adversary. It says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, and that we love not our lives unto death. Amen. So we're going to get into these three concepts. I want you to know that God did not leave you defenseless. How many of you feel like a defenseless duck sometimes? Amen. How many of you feel like a defenseless duck? Amen. But it says that you overcome by the blood. So what that tells me is that the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed on Calvary is there making atonement and giving you what? An overcoming work. We overcome not because of our effort. We overcome not because of our knowledge. We overcome not because of our religion. We overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb. It, there's, there is something powerful about the blood of Jesus. Not only does it wash us and cleanse us. Amen. How many of you are glad to be washed in the blood? 
Amen. The book of Isaiah says, though our sins were as scarlet, we'll be made white as snow. When you've been washed in the blood, you come out on the other side cleaner than you've ever been, washed white as snow. Amen. Amen. God said that he takes those sins and he casts them into the sea. As far as the east is from the west, he remembers those things no more. They're gone. Amen. And God makes us new. He said all things are new in Christ Jesus. Amen. Aren't you glad of that? If God never did another thing for us, aren't you glad that he washes us in his own blood? Amen. I'm not cleansed and I don't have that liberty to stand right before God because I figured something out. Amen. I can stand before God because he worked something out on the cross. Amen. He was nailed on that cross and as that holy blood ran down that cross, he said it is finished. And he offered himself as a ransom for the soul of men and women. Every person, red, yellow, black, or white, Republican, or Democrat, the blood of God was shed for their soul. And, and, and that blood washes us and cleanses us. Amen? Not only does the blood wash us and cleanse us, but it separates us from the world. It signifies that we've been purchased. We've been bought with the price. It testifies that we are no longer our own, but we've come under the headship of another. We've come under the headship and the leadership and the governorship of another. Amen. We say Jesus is my Lord. Come on now. Jesus is my Lord. Come on now. He is our Lord. And when that blood's been applied to our soul, what it does is it signifies Pharaoh, his power and his authority over my life is broken. You see, when they put that blood over their doorpost, they were saying, we belong to another. We belong to Jehovah God. We belong to the Most High God. We belong no more to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And when you go and you look over back in the book of Romans, it, it shows you that Pharaoh signifies sin. The power of sin is signified by Pharaoh in Egypt. And that blood, when it's been applied to your soul, what it does is it signifies to you that the power of sin has been broken. You no longer belong to sin. Amen. You no longer have to serve sin. Amen. You can serve God in righteousness. God has given you that ability to be free. Amen. That's why it says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen. So we've been washed and we've been separated. Amen. That blood's been applied to the doorposts of our soul and it signifies to the world that it no longer controls us. The Word of God says that we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things. Somebody say all. All things are made new in Him. Amen. I'm not who I once was. Amen. If you are who you used to be, then you need to get washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And you need to be born again. You have to be a new creature. You talk to somebody about, you know, about, about the Lord. You say you've got to be born again. 
It's not about you having behavior modification. God's not out to put potpourri on somebody's bad attitude. God's out to take out that heart of stone, that heart of blackness and sin, and take it out and crush it and put in a heart to love him, to know him, to follow him. God said, I'll make you new. I'll make you new. And I want you to know that without that newness of life, all you are is potpourri up. And God won't accept potpourri on the day of judgment. You must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit of God. That blood has to wash you, cleanse you, separate you from the world and unto God. I love how, how Paul puts it in another passage. He said, he, he, we're, we're separated from the world, but we're separated unto God. Amen. There's a difference. There's a lot of people that will separate themselves from the world. Amen. But there's a bigger difference in being separated unto God. That, that's when you go to living intentionally to please Him in everything you do. This one is no longer about me and my, I, I don't like that. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more like this. You see, when it, whenever it's about, whenever I've been separated unto God, I'm about Him. I'm about His kingdom. I'm His vessel. I'm His emissary. I'm His. I'm surrendered to His will, His way. You see, whenever we're just separated from the world, all we do really is we just kind of uh, become those frozen chosen that, you know, we, we too get boxed in. But when you get separated unto God, you be, come on somebody, our God is a consuming fire. Now, it's one thing to stop acting like the world, but it's another thing to have an encounter with the living God. And you can't just sit there and say, well, I'm no longer like the world. Well, you know what? Every Buddhist and every monk can say the same thing. But it's the power of God that he's looking for in your life. It's not about just not stealing and not cussing and not watching bad movies. No, you need to go all the way to Mount Sinai and go up that hill and have an encounter with the living God. And you can't hold back from that. Because it's the presence of God that you need. Until you have an encounter with God, all you have is religion. But when you've had an encounter with God, you've got God. Amen. And God, and look, and and God won't hold back on you. If you'll give God all your heart, God will give you all that you need. Amen. He'll give you all that you need. He'll give you more than you can handle. Amen. I know those preachers, they use that verse, when you give unto the Lord, he'll give back, you know, more than you can handle. (laughs) Come on now, that's the Holy Spirit. He's talking about he'll bless you more than you can hold, amen? He'll put more in you than you can hold, amen? The devil couldn't wipe that smile off your face when you've had an encounter with God, amen? Amen, amen. Now, I want to I break this down for you, that the, the, the way that God gives us that ability to overcome. So turn with me to the book of uh, Colossians. Let's go over there. Colossians chapter number one. Now, you can leave your, your uh, ribbon or finger there in Revelation. We'll be working our way back, Lord willing. But if not, we'll get it another time. Colossians chapter number one. We're going to be moving down to verse number 12 tonight, 12, 13, and 14. Listen to this. God has not left you defenseless against the plan, the schemes, the lies, and the work of the devil. 
you, you, you're not like just some defenseless jaybird out there. God has sent you, amen, God has sent you protection. He has sent you protection. The word, the word that we read over there was that we, are, we overcome, we overcome Satan, we overcome his work by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. Are you an overcomer tonight? Are you an overcomer? God has given you the ability to overcome the enemy. God has given you the ability to overcome the enemy. Now listen to me. You can be a partaker of Christ's victory. How many of you know that Christ won victory? Do you serve a risen Savior? Do you serve a victorious Savior? Is he triumphant? I believe, as the book of Psalms says, when Jesus came back and he went up there to heaven, those gates swung open and all the angels and all the hosts of heaven and the cherubim and the seraphim, they began to rock and roll in heaven, shouting out, glory to the Lord God, glory to the Lamb of God. Amen. Amen. I don't think heaven could contain itself. Amen. That's probably why he hadn't come back yet. They've just been still celebrating the victory. Amen. He defeated the power of sin. He defeated the power of death. He, de- he defeated the dominion of this world. And, and I believe with all my heart he is victorious today. But I want you to know something. God has given you the ability, the invitation. God is, is, is inviting you to partake of that victory. Now, Christ won the victory. Amen. Glory to God. But he's not victorious alone. He's invited you to live a victorious life through him. And I want to show you that tonight. Now, it says in in here that we're not only partakers. uh, 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 I mean, we are partakers of Christ's victory. A lot of people are spectators. How many of you like to spectate? All right. There's a lot of people that will sit on the outskirts and they're spectators. Ah, that, that pastor, he gets so crazy. That, 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 that pastor needs to eat some biscuits and gravy and settle down. You know, we, we get all spectating, you know. I, you know, let him go through what I've been through and he wouldn't be shouting. Well, you don't know what the other person's been through, do you? Amen. My pastor used to say this. He used to say, you know, whenever I'm going through something, you look at it like a, a molehill. It's a mountain to me. But when you go through it, I look at it like a molehill, but it's a mountain to you. See, we, we don't understand what everybody's going through. But I know this. We all got to go through stuff. But the stuff we go through, right, we can look at the Lord's victory as a spectator or a partaker. Amen. And God, God won't make you partake of this. There's a lot of people that stay on the fringes. There's a lot of people that, that stay in spectatorville. A lot of people don't know the power of God. They know about God. You can give them a theology test and they'll pass it. They know where to say uh-huh. They know where to say uh-uh. But they don't know God. They have a form of religion. They don't know the power about it. The power we're talking about is the power to live and walk in victory. 
A lot of people are spectators. Some people are commentators. But God wants you and me to be a partaker. A partaker. Amen. Now watch this. In, in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now King James language, the word meet there means fit for the task. It's like whenever uh, David was going to face Goliath, the, the, the king thought he wasn't equipped for the task, so he needed to wear the king's armor. But you see, David had an anointing on his life that men's armor couldn't touch. He had the power of God on his life. Amen. But, but, but that word meet, it means to be fit for. And you see, it says here that God has, has made us fit to be partakers. He's not forcing you. He's not forcing you. But he's made it a possibility. He's made it a possibility. Now look at this. It says, the partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who has, now this is where you get the inheritance. What, what are we partaking of? There's an inheritance that God gives his children. How many of you know that God gives his children stuff? God gives his children stuff. I'm not talking about airplane rides and Rolls Royces and two-story houses. I'm not talking about alligator boots and things like this. When I say God gives his children stuff, these are spiritual things. These are things that you need to get through this journey, this pilgrimage that you're on. Now he says here that what that inheritance is, he said that, that He's going to make you a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in light who has delivered. That's your word. Delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I want you to know this, that there is a, an, an aspect of this word overcoming that God has invited you to be in. And that word is delivered. God wants you to be delivered. I don't know what area of your life that you're not delivered from or if there is one. But if you're a child of God and there's an area that Satan, Pharaoh, the world or sin has dominion over you. I want you to know that God has equipped you and fitted you to be a partaker of deliverance. Deliverance is a heritage to the child of God. And it says in that next verse, it's done by the blood of Jesus. See, the blood of Jesus, when he bought you, what it's saying is he delivered you from every dark entity. There's not one square inch of the child of God that the devil ought to be able to put his grubby finger. There's not one area. We used to have a saying, don't let the enemy get a foothold in the door. Amen. But I want you to know that in the life of the child of God, there's not one area where deliverance cannot be applied. You might say, oh, this is just my thing. I've got to deal with this battle with depression. I've got to deal with this battle of pride. I've got to deal with my 
battle of alcohol. I've got to deal with my battle of lust. No, there is not one area of your life if you've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, that the blood of Jesus will not deliver you from the power and dominion of darkness and translate you into the kingdom of Jesus. Not one inch. Not one area. Amen. God does not deliver 99.9% of the time. God does not deliver, amen, somebody help me out here. God does not deliver partially, amen. When God brings deliverance to a people, he brings deliverance to a people. Amen. There was millions of people that walked across that Red Sea on dry land. God brought each and every one of them out. A lot of them died on the other side of it, but God brought each and every one of them all the way out. Not one of the children of God that lived under the blood of the lamb applied to the doorpost was left in Egypt. Not a one. So don't sit there and say, well, I've just got this thing. I've just got this thing. I was born with it. I'm going to die with it. No, you need to get translated out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. You need to know that God has given you, amen, God has given you and made you meet to be a partaker of this inheritance of deliverance. Amen. Deliverance is a, 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 a blessing that God gives his children. God doesn't want you to have to limp through this, this life. I love the book of Galatians chapter 5, one of my favorite verses of all time. It says, when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5, when you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That verse fleshes out this concept. You see, when you walk in the Spirit, what happens is you, you are overcoming. You are walking deliverance. Well, there's a lot of people that they, they, they hold on to things from the past. But if there's anything in you that does not function in God's holiness, if there's anything in you that does not function in the power of God, you need to get delivered. And that deliverance was wrought for you by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. So this functional faith I want to talk about. Now, one of the, one of, if, turn back with me to Revelation chapter 12. Let me pick this back up. Revelation chapter 12. We're going to crank it up a notch. Revelation chapter 12, it says that we overcome by the blood of what? By the blood of the Lamb. That's how we overcome. There's a lot of people in the church world today that can't overcome stuff. But when push comes to shove, we have to get back to this concept of knowing where our deliverance comes from. We have to come back to this place. You're not going to, you're not going to get it out of somebody, some, some preacher's book. You're not going to get it out of some CD that you heard. It's going to have to be you coming back to this place of seeking the face of God and trusting the blood of Jesus to set you free. Free of what, Pastor? It don't matter. To set you free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. 
Amen. And every single accusation that the devil could possibly make against you can be done away with by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So the other part I want to get into tonight is this overcoming. Um, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. How many of you feel like an overcomer tonight? I feel like an overcomer tonight. There's, there's some days that I got to wake up and be like, self, you're supposed to be an overcomer. I got to get back on my face and seek, seek the Lord. And, and, you know, it says that in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy in Psalm 16. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. And when I don't have that joy, joy, joy down in my heart, it means I need to get back in the presence of God. I need to get back to that place where the presence of God is prevalent in my life. You know, the Lord loves you. What touched his heart so much was not Martha, but Mary. Always remember that. Always remember that. Mary touched his heart like no other. When when everybody else was about doing business, Mary was at his feet. Mary was at his feet. Amen. She was in his presence. Amen. She was in his presence. Um, let me touch on this. Uh, it says in the next part, it says, by, uh, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now, this part here, I want to get into the, the word of their testimony. How many of you know that you got a testimony? Your testimony came at the cost of a test. Nobody has a testimony without a test. Amen. If you feel like the, 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 the flame is too hot, it's just going to make the testimony that much sweeter. Amen. I want you to know that God wants to give you a testimony, but every testimony, nobody has a testimony that didn't cost them something. Nobody has a testimony that didn't cost them something. I want to show you this in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3. Turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter number 3. Oh, well, we're going we gonna to get somewhere. What's the cost, Pastor? Your flesh. Every testimony has a cost, and it's about you buffeting the flesh. John the Baptist, he said, <clears throat> I must decrease. He must increase I must decrease. That's the cost. That's how you get a testimony. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is about to write his, it's actually his third letter to the Corinthian church. Um, But the part I want you to see is that Paul is reminding them of the work of God that's happened in their life. How many of you, sometimes, you need to go back to that first time that you experienced God move in your life? How many of you remember that time? How many of you remember when the light came on? When new life sprang up? When old things died off and all things were made new? How many of you remember that? Amen? You remember that? Now, the Apostle Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthian church, he's trying to get them to, to remember who they are. Because sometimes... Like sheep that have gone astray, we forget. We let the world begin to maneuver us. We let our pride get in the way. Sometimes our feelings begin to grow again. Amen? 
You know, there's is well, feelings, feelings and flesh, right? Are 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 very sensitive. <laughs> now watch this. It says in Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul's writing this in verse number one. It says, "Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you?" or letters of commendation from you. Paul, as he's asserting his apostleshipness, he said, do I need to bring a letter saying who I am, or do you need to send me a letter saying who you are? Like, we don't need that, do we? If you, you know, you, you don't have to bring a letter to me telling me this is who you are, Right? Because I'm supposed to see the evidence of who you are. I want you to see this. It's the evidence of who you are that becomes the testimony God's looking for. He said in verse 2, you are our epistle. In other words, I don't need to write an epistle to you. You are our epistle. You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. This is one of the one of the only times this in the book of Ezekiel is one of the only times that the word flesh is used in a good manner by God. But he said here, you know what? I don't need to bring you a letter and I don't need a letter from you because you are a living letter. In other words, if there was no change in you, if there was no difference in who you were and who you are, if you didn't have a testimony, we would have a problem. But you are a living testimony. You are a living epistle. And you see, as the children of God, there must be an evidence in your life that the power of God has prevailed in you. There must be a testimony and evidence that the power of God has prevailed in you. It's not only about you being an overcomer for your problem, but it's the fact that you responded to God, the power of God set you free, and now you are a living testimony to others. And you can say, hey, brother, I know that's a long road. I know that's a hard time, but I'm telling you, look at me. I trusted God in the valley. I trusted God when the lights turned out. I trusted God when everybody else turned their back on me. But God never left me. God never forsook me. God undergirded me. God strengthened me. And God was my light. You see, you become a living epistle to others. You become a living epistle to others. And that's what God wants to see at work in us tonight. God wants us to be vessels that others can see the power and the glory of God at work in. Amen. It's not about you learning something in your head, although I'm not against learning. Hello, I'm not against learning. But it's not just you learning something in your head. It's about the power of God actually changing you. 
It's about you getting set free by the blood of Jesus and actually having a living, breathing testimony of the power of God. And you see, when you have that, you have not just words. How many of you know there's a lot of preachers with a lot of words? You might be thinking, I got a lot of words. Yeah, I got a lot of words. A lot of preachers have a lot of words. A lot of people have a lot of words. A lot of YouTube people got a lot of words. Our grandmas, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, they got a lot of words. But Paul said, I'm not settled for words. I want change. Change. I need to see pride's been broken in you. I need to see the power of lust is broken in you. I need to see that the power of drugs has been broken in you. I need to see that depression has been broken in you. I need to see that fear has been broken in you. I need to see that the power of God is visible and evident in you. And that's what the Apostle Paul was telling the Corinthians. He said, I don't need to bring a letter. You're a living letter. Everybody can see it. You're a living epistle. And you see, when it comes to these last days, and, and, and I believe that God directed us to this book of Revelation chapter 12, because that really and truly is what refined faith is. Faith that is alive in the last days is going to be faith that trusts not in churches and denominations, not in men, but in the blood of the Lamb and by a living testimony. By the word of their testimony. You know what I can say? You know what? People may fail me. People may talk bad about me. People may walk back, uh, back from me. But I know this. I've trusted in the blood of the Lamb. And I've got a testimony. I've got a testimony. I'm not who I once was. I'm not who I used to be. Amen. I'm not walking like I once did. It's not a new life in concept. It's a new life in reality. You see, it's it's not just words anymore. It's change. I woke up one day like I used to be, and I went to bed a new creature. That night, I went to bed a, a changed man. God had taken the old out and put the new in. And you see, that's what God's looking for in us. And I'm telling you, in those last days, we need refined faith. We need refined faith. We need to know when it all settles, when when everything falls apart, I can still know where my overcoming, listen to me, where my overcoming influence comes from, by the blood of the Lamb. I can overcome anything by the blood of the Lamb. And I know it works because I know I've got a testimony. I know God's changed me. I know God's taken out that old man. I know God's given me new life in him. I know what the power of God can do because I've, I've evidently experienced in my life. And that's what God's looking for in us, a living testimony. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Listen, if you don't have a testimony, you need to get one. Amen. It don't have to be big at the beginning if you don't want it, but you need a testimony. 
you need to be able to look back and say, you know what? I'm not who I once was. I've been changed by the power of God. We're not talking about behavior modification. We're not talking about you learning new manners. You know what? You can, you can teach everybody on God's green earth to say yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir, and open doors for little old ladies. You can teach every person on God's green earth to do that. It won't make them one inch closer to God. It'll make a better world on the surface, but it won't get sin out of the soul, will it? You can cut off a thief's hand, but you can't pull that, that, that desire to steal out the heart, can you? Only the blood of Jesus can do that. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. You know, you, you, you talk to people, you counsel people, you, you see somebody, they got a problem with lust. The wife says, I, I'm going to leave if you don't, you know, get rid of this. Well, she goes and she cancels all that man's subscriptions, all his stuff. But you can't take that lust out, can you? It takes the power of God to do that. It takes the blood of Jesus to do that. Amen. Amen. And, and you see, it, you, can, you, can have, you can have better manners and better morals, but what you have to have is new life. New life. And you see, that's what I love about Paul here. He said, you know what? When I come to you, I don't need to bring you a letter, and I don't need a letter from you because I know you I know you. You're not who you were. You're a living epistle. There is an evident change in you. You're not who you once were. So look, if, if, if Paul, if the Apostle Paul was alive today and he walked through the doors of Gospel Lighthouse Church, you better not show him your membership papers of the church. Because I'm not going to show him my ordination papers. I'm going to show him what God's done in me. And you better show him what God's done in you. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because the battle that we're about to go in, you need to have a refined faith where you're not trusting men and men's reasons and men's ways, but you're trusting in the blood of the Lamb of God and the changed life in you. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The last part of that that I want to touch on tonight is that they love not their life to the end. They love not their life to the end. Turn back there with me to, to the book of Revelation, chapter number 12. Hallelujah. You know, this is one of the, one of the, the hallmarks of the rich young ruler. He, he followed a lot of the rules of God. But Jesus told him, sell all your goods. Come follow me. Right? And that was a bridge too far for that man. He loved the life he had. He was willing to follow some rules, but he loved his life. Amen. He was not willing to take up his cross and follow Jesus, whatever the cost. See, whenever you follow God, there's a cost associated with it. Amen. And God will put his finger on it. But here you need to know that in the last days, and this has been going on since the apostles first uh, were baptized in the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. But the world will persecute the church. 
And the hotter and the more full you are of the fire of God, the more the world's going to come against you. And you cannot have a refined faith without the ire of the devil. Hear that. You cannot have a refined faith without the ire of the devil. So you have to come to that place to where if it costs you your life, it costs you your life. But you're not going to deny Jesus. You're not going to deny your Lord that bought you. Now, there's a lot of directions I could go in this passage. You can look at, you know, one of my favorites is Daniel. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone, right? They told Daniel, don't pray. Don't pray. Daniel went and prayed. Daniel went and prayed. They cast him in a den of lions. Daniel was alive the next morning. Amen. So what you see in that concept is he had no regard for natural life. He was not willing to compromise even if it cost him his life. You know, the apostle Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, Thomas, they say, was uh, was thrown a spear and filleted. Uh, many of the apostles were uh, had their heads cut off. The apostle Paul had his head cut off. Uh, James was thrown off a cliff and then stoned to death. You see Stephen, he was stoned to death. The, the martyrdom, that, that word martyr means a witness. Uh, that, but martyrdom has was what the church was brought in with. And it's going to be what the church is taken out into. But it says they, they love not the life unto death. And, you know, one of, as I was reading the, a commentary on this uh, passage, one of my favorite ones to read is John Wesley. I, I love John Wesley. He just speaks in my soul. But he was talking about this king of Sweden in the year 900. This king of Sweden in the year 900, his, his name was King Olam. And he was a believer. And the majority of the people in Sweden at the time were idolaters. They, they worshipped false gods. And they wanted this man to worship their false god with them. And he's the king. And he didn't do it. He would not worship their idol. So the subjects of Sweden invaded the castle, took him by force, and offered him as a sacrifice to the false god. He, as a king, laid down his life to the end because he would not bow the knee to a false god. That's the kind of faith. That's the kind of faith that the church is going to have to have in the last days. The church is going to have to have that kind of faith in the last days. I don't know that that exact scenario is going to happen to us, but I know we're going to have to love God more than life itself. This life is short. This life is fleeting. This life is full of thorns. Can I get a witness? But I'm looking for a continuing city. I'm looking for a city not built with hands. I'm looking for a home, a heavenly home. Amen. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I'm not living for mansions here. I'm living for what's awaiting on the other side. Amen. 
And just like that king, we've got to have that testimony in our life that we will not bow the knee to another. Amen? God's called you to be an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the word of his testimony, word of your testimony, and to love not your life to the end. Amen. Father, we bless you tonight. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to hear the word of God. Lord, I pray that there would be some overcomers in this church.